Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to an exciting episode of Cape Up as we talk with Rob Reiner. Find out how the director and a star on All in the Family actually came to be on the podcast. You have to hear what he thinks separately about the press and about Donald Trump. People are always asking me, they say, uh, you know, could could you do a show like All in the Family now? You know, is it so on PC you couldn't do a show like that? I said, we are doing it. We're doing it every day with Donald Trump running for president. And would Rob Reiner work in a Hillary White House if she wins and asks him? You know, I would do it. I mean, I would if, if there was something that I could do to help. He knows exactly what he'd want to do. And you'll find out what that is and the dream he had about Speaker Paul Ryan right now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to Cape Up. So about a couple of months ago, I noticed that Rob Reiner, actor, director, proud liberal activist, was hitting like on a lot of my tweets. So I did what any self-respecting journalist and budding podcaster would do. I asked him for an interview. Now, I never thought he'd actually say yes and say yes so quickly, but he did, and I am thrilled that he is here, right here. Welcome. Well, thank you, Jonathan. But here's the thing. Now that you've said that, every single person that's called me a meathead and attacked (laughs) me for some of the views I've had are now going to ask me to do a podcast. I'm stuck now. Well, I mean, you don't have to say yes. I'm glad you said yes to me. I don't have to say yes. That's true. All right. So this is a lucky coincidence because in the the message I sent you, I said, if you happen to be, if you make it to Washington, would you please come on and do my podcast? And you're actually here scouting locations for a movie. Tell me about the movie. Yeah. The movie is called Shock and Awe. And it's it's about the run up to the war in Iraq. And it focuses on four journalists from the uh, Knight Ritter News Service. uh, They actually wrote all these articles prior to uh, our invading Iraq, and they got everything right. They debunked the aluminum tubes. They debunked the connection between Saddam Hussein and al-Qaeda. They debunked uh, the weapons of mass destruction. And nobody was paying any attention to them. The mainstream media had bought into the administration's uh, uh, line, and uh, everybody drank the Kool-Aid. And so here were these guys who were basically, uh, you know, screaming into the into the wind, and nobody was listening. And I just felt that, uh, you know, in my lifetime, I'm I'm old enough to have been through, you know, the the Vietnam War, and now uh, now then then going through Iraq. I said I couldn't believe that in my lifetime we were going to war again over a lie. So if the rationale to go to war was the fact that Saddam Hussein was going to acquire a nuclear weapon and he was going to give it to a terrorist organization and that was going to uh, obliterate the United States, we were all scared because of 9-11, you would buy into that. But if you looked carefully, you could see none of those things were true. And there was no connection between al-Qaeda and, and, and Saddam. And everybody who knows anything about the Arab world would know that that was not true. In there is a broad indictment of the mainstream media. So why do you think the mainstream media failed in this regard? Well, and uh, those four Knight Ritter folks didn't. Well, here, here's the two big reasons. One is we were the, the country was frightened. 9-11 had happened. 
we were frightened that something bigger could happen. Mm -hmm. So they took the the administration's uh, line on it. And the fact is, most of the mainstream media listens to high-level uh, uh, officials in an administration. They don't go to the the career people, the low-level people, the people that last from administration to administration. Those people are the people that the Knight Ritter guys went to. So they got the truth. They heard what the truth is. The second thing is you worry about losing access. You worry about losing access, and there you have it. And the for third thing, and then this is the most important, and it comes out in the film, is that there was a group called the Iraqi National Congress headed by a guy named Ahmad Shalabi who was feeding bad information and that information was being uh, sent through uh, Cheney uh, into the New York Times and other outlets and then it was uh, all of a sudden now it's declassified. Once the New York Times has it, mm-hmm. it becomes declassified. So in your indictment of the, the mainstream media, you're talk- you, you just said that a lot of the mainstream reporters are, were talking to the high-level government officials. And to my mind, that says they were too trusting. And as a journalist, if I'm talking to the senior advisor to the president, to a senior person in the Defense Department or the State Department, and they're showing me documents, they're showing me things that, ha- that haven't been out there, why shouldn't I report on what they're saying? Why shouldn't I trust the sources that I've spent years building up? Well, you have to you have to listen to those sources absolutely. But that, those those people are put together by an administration. They're loyal to that administration. They have an agenda. There are certain people that don't have the have a, the low echelons. They don't have that kind of agenda. And when you're talking about war, when you're talking about the single most important thing a president can do, you owe it to the public to Tell them the truth and get the truth. It's the job of the the press to question and to keep questioning. And why I like this movie now, even though it's 15 years later, is we're in the same situation. You know, instead of worrying about getting access... We have a candidate who is willing to give access, you're, and the press doesn't know how to deal with that person. And you're you're totally taking all my questions that I'm. A, I was well, just about okay. to ask. I was about to ask you: Has the press learned its lesson since then? But then, with the Trump candidacy, are we seeing those tendencies from back then? revealing, reviving themselves in the Trump candidacy. And it sounds like you're, you no, just said it's no, happening you, again. No, but it is happening again in a different way because the press right now uh, has a candidate who is willing to give access all the time. Now he does, you know, he does cut the Washington Post out of his, uh, you know, his press conferences and the Huffington Post and so on. But he's willing, up until the point in which he got the nomination, he was willing to talk to anybody. And any time you'd see an, a, a, a journalist get one-on-one with him, they would get completely bamboozled. They didn't know how to handle him. If you looked at, there's a certain a couple of people that, um, that were able to handle it. Chris Matthews, uh, if you remember oh, what Chris Matthews Oh, I remember. Matthews I was did. watching. Well, but what did Chris do? And what you remember what he did is he stayed on one question. He never varied. Because if you ask 
Donald Trump a question. Number one, he doesn't have the answer. He doesn't know, understand anything about public policy. He's not willing to learn about public policy. If you ask him a question and he doesn't give you the answer, you ask him again. When he doesn't give you the answer again, which he won't, you ask him again. He still won't give you the answer. And then the fourth time you say, clearly you don't want to answer this question and you have to stay at it and you owe it to the public. This is now we're talking about the presidency of the United States. It's important that you guys hold his feet to the fire no matter how difficult it is. And that particular question that Chris Matthews asked him was it was on abortion and whether he thought uh, ultimately it came down to whether Donald Trump thought a woman should be punished legally for having an abortion. And you could see watching, he sort of looked up and said, uh, yes. Yes, yes he, he just yes. made up the answer. Yeah, he, well, that's what he does with everything. I don't care what you ask him, he isn't going to have the answer. And you have to, as journalists, have to press him until he gives an answer. And then fact check him. Well, let's talk about Donald Trump's su- supporters. And there's something you said to the Hollywood Reporter um, that I that triggered a memory. And that the you said, if it isn't overt racism, it's this kind of a desperate attempt at holding on to some version of America that they think was there once. They're really threatened by our diversity, and that and what's so great about the experiment of democracy is that it celebrates diversity, and diversity is what makes it strong. And when I first read this. I hearken back to those pitched battles between Michael Stivic, your your famous character right. in All in the Family, and those battles he had with his father-in-law, Archie Bunker, played right. by Carol O'Connor. Uh, not much has changed since the 70s, has no, it? You know, here's, here's something funny. People are always asking me, they say, uh, you know, could, could you do a show like All in the Family now? You know, is it so on PC you couldn't do a show like that? I said, we are doing it. We're doing it every day with Donald Trump running for president. He's Archie Bunker. They're both from Queens. They're both, uh, you know, they both have these uh, misogynistic, racist uh, points of view, and they spout them. Uh, And now we, uh, if we're smart journalists, we have to all be the meatheads, the Michael Stivics, to be able to hold his feet to the fire. So I have to ask you, uh, because this came up on, on, on Morning Joe, where you got into a tussle over the question of whether all Donald Trump supporters are racist. Well, of course they're not all racist. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, but but that doesn't mean there isn't a big strain of racism in his in his uh, constituency, and he knows it too because he doesn't want to disavow David Duke. He doesn't want to uh, say, uh, you know, I don't want the support of white supremacist groups and neo-Nazi groups Mm -hmm. because he knows that they're supporting him. Now, what about the people, though, who are supporting Donald Trump who aren't racist? Because let's say it again. You you did not say that all Trump supporters are racist. But what about those people who are attracted to him because they feel so left behind economically that he's the one person who talks to them, talks to them not to their head, but to their gut? Well, that's fine. And, you know, people talked about the people, uh, the Bernie supporters in the same way, because, you know, there were more young people than, they, you know, the, the Trump uh, supporters are much older. But it's the same kind of anger and same kind of rage about being left behind and feeling that you're not, you know, the, the economy is not working for you. Fine. Then it's up to Donald Trump to tell them what it is he's going to do that's going to get them their jobs back. 
he can lie to him, lie to them and say, uh, we're going to bring manufacturing back. It's going to be back the way it was. We're living in a global economy. You cannot deny it. It is what it is. And he would have to propose something to re-energize the working man in this country and bring them and get them back to work. Hillary Clinton puts a plan out there. It's a very, very detailed, bold infrastructure plan that also focuses on a green technology that will create millions and millions of jobs. That's what you do. I don't see anything coming from Donald Trump that's going to do that. And I don't care how much Kellyanne Conway spins it and says and, and puts a shiny face on it. There's nothing in his, uh, you know, in his plans to, to do anything for these people. You, you are so passionate about everything political. <laughs> you ever think about running for office yourself? Well, that, you know, it's funny because during the, uh, you know, the, the Schwarzenegger, the second time he ran, uh, I was actually thinking because I actually passed some legislation in California, uh, you know, some uh, raised cigarette taxes to fund early childhood oh, yeah, that's right. development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was the chairman of the state commission for seven years. So I worked in government and I had a lot of experience doing that. Uh, so they were talking to me about, you know, you know, the Terminator versus the meathead. You know, let's have that that that, uh, you know, that that, that battle. Yeah, royale. Yeah, yeah, that beautiful political battle. And so, you know, I make the joke, but it was true. I mean, my kids were younger then. And was, I, we have three Michelle and I have three kids. And we had a little family discussion and we talked about it very seriously. And. I joke about it, but it was true. I polled 40% in my own family. I basically I basically couldn't carry my family, so I figured maybe that's not such a good idea. Wait, uh, Michelle is actually here in the studio. I'm yeah. going to look over at Michelle. Michelle, were you a thumbs up or a thumbs down on? Big thumbs. A big thumbs down. Yeah, Michelle, even... Michelle was a big thumbs down. Actually, my older son, Jake, was the only one uh, uh, you know, in favor of it. My middle son, uh, my, our middle child, Nick, uh, he was friends with Patrick Schwarzenegger at the time, and he he didn't like the fact that he, you know, there was always Secret Service people around, and he didn't like. That. Oh, so he didn't. He no. didn't want. He any. didn't want to have that life. Yeah. Now, the popular perception of Hollywood is it's awash in liberals. That's true. It's pretty much a liberal community. There are conservatives there for sure, but it's mostly liberal, and and I think it comes from the fact that if you are in the arts of any kind. You're usually liberal. I mean, you're open to the idea of exploring uh, everything. I used to make this. I I told this to uh, Bill Clinton when he first became president. I was in the. I was I was researching American president. And this was in 1993, and he was all upset because they got mad at him uh, because he got a haircut on the runway of the thing. But I don't remember what it was. And he was so mad at me, and, and he said, "I don't understand these. Why are they so angry?" I said, "You have to understand the basic difference between Republicans and Democrats. Republicans know they're right." Democrats entertain the possibility that they might be wrong. And that's the difference. That's a, actually a very good a very good definition there. Who's your closest Republican friend or conservative friend? Do um, you have any? Well, I, I have re Republican friends. I wouldn't say close because in order to get close, I mean, but I, I have been, you know, listen, I work with uh, uh, Mayor Reardon, but they're all, they're all, uh, you know, kind of moderate Republicans. You know, I've been friends with Bruce Willis. I've been friends with, even with Schwarzenegger at mm -hmm. times, you know, but uh, it, 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 it usually, I'm not that close to them because they, they hold on to certain ideas. Now, if you look at Schwarzenegger, that, that, that's a Republican who could never get elected right. nowadays. The, the, the Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis are people who are 
are different kinds of Republicans. Yeah, they, yeah. They, those the people, the Republicans who are here in Washington now, the Tea Party Republicans yeah. who sort of coming in yeah. since 2010. No, no. It, it's interesting because a good friend of ours is Stephanie Miller, whose father ran uh, for vice president with uh, with Barry Goldwater back in 1964, and we've talked about this many times. Her father could never even get close to a nomination, and he was the most conservative guy back in 1964. So the, the, the whole country has shifted dramatically to the right, and it happened in 64 where the Republican Party reinvented itself. They built all these institutions, these think tanks and these media uh, organizations, and they pulled the, the country way to the right. If you look at Obama— you know, who, who I love, and I think he's done a great job. He's, you know, given the what he's had to deal with, mm-hmm. it's astounding what he's been able to accomplish. He is like a an old Rockefeller Republican. It's not, it's not, he's not some whacked out crazy liberal. He's a very middle of the road guy. But that's that's not somebody uh, you know, who could get a, get a nomination in a Republican Party, although there were lots of guys like that. Barack Obama, when you list his uh, accomplishments, you're going to look back and say, wow, he saved the auto industry, killed bin Laden, he passed health care, he opened the door to China and Cuba. I mean, he did, I mean, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. China with uh, climate change and Cuba, you know, the trade relations will start. He's done an amazing job. And there's not one thing the Republicans have, 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 have supported him on. He put forward things the Republicans were even interested in, and they vetoed their own things, like mm-hmm. like an infrastructure bill. So, um, you know, I, I love Hillary because I, I think she can get things done. I mean, she she used to be a Republican. Uh, she's now she a, dem- a teenager. Yeah, right? but she understands the Republican mind. She understands how to work across the aisle. She's done it well. And she's a wonk. She gets under the hood, looks up, looks and see what's wrong and figures out ways to make things work. And I, I think she's an amazing, amazing uh, public servant. You buy this this criticism that she is cold, aloof, impersonable, um, hard to get to or have you had the opposite experience that well, you hear I, people say I, listen i i've had the opposite experience because i've spent time with her i mean she's fun she's got a good sense of humor she's very warm she's got a great laugh uh you know i think when she goes in front of uh the public it's tougher for a woman uh, we've never elected a woman she's held to a different standard uh, she's not smiling enough she's not laughing enough meanwhile Trump goes out there and makes a complete fool out of himself and it's fine you know I mean he says the most crazy outrageous things can you imagine if Hillary Clinton said the things that he said about Vladimir Putin uh, you know I'm I not, mean yeah. it's just insanity I, I that's what I've been thinking a lot about is like if any Democrat had said any of the stuff, um, that Trump has said about uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin that they would have been run out of the campaign oh, they, they, in a called, hot second. Call treason. Call treason. Here's a guy who on network television said, who urged the Russian government to hack into our election. Now, that what is that? I mean, Richard Nixon had to resign office because he covered up a guy trying to sneak into the DNC. They didn't even get anything. 
These guys hacked into the DNC. They got stuff. And there's a candidate running for president encouraging them in, in public. Right. To do more. And, and Nixon said, ooh. Who, if anybody finds out, I'm in big trouble. Well, they found out and they threw him out, of office. out of office. Here's a guy saying, that's eh, fine. Go hack away. Hack away and elect me. And elect, elect me. me. Yeah. So you come from a legendary Hollywood family. Your dad was the great Carl Reiner. You're the great Rob Reiner. How much pressure did you feel growing up to be great? Well, you don't feel it's not a pressure to be great. It's a pressure to just succeed and and survive and 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 find your own way in the world. And that was tough. It was very tough for me. I've I've, I've told the story many times, but and, and I don't remember. But my mother told me that I came to uh, them one time and uh, I said I wanted to change my name. And they, my dad was thinking, Oh, this poor kid. He's so. Uh, you know, uh, you know, pressured by having to live up to the name of Reiner. And he's, oh, my God. He says, what do you want to change your name to? And I said, Carl. And, 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 and I said that because I wanted to be like him. I admired him. I looked up to him. He was successful. And I wanted to be that. And it, it's tough to carve your own way. How unforgiving is Hollywood of those who don't emerge from the shadows of parents or siblings in the business who have reached incredible heights. Well, you know, there's there's a there's a, a, a battlefield strewn with people that do that. And I've had this conversation with uh, Michael Douglas uh, on a number of occasions. You know, Michael is a good friend, and I've done a couple of movies with him. And and we say that there's really only a handful of. Uh, sons and daughters whose parents have achieved a very high level. You know, his father, Kirk Douglas, mm -hmm. and, and my father had won 12 Emmys or whatever, whose, whose sons and daughters have also achieved at a certain level. And you can count them on one hand. I mean, it's, there's not many, you know. There's a lot of fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, but to either, uh, you know, hit that level or supersede is very difficult. Um if this acting, directing thing hadn't worked out, what do you think you'd be doing now? You know, I, I, listen, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do know that uh, as I've gotten older and, and uh, you know, when I started getting more and more heavily involved in politics, I do like public service and I do like getting things done. I mean, uh, my wife and I were the first two to, to uh, uh, file a the fe federal lawsuit, which ultimately uh, resulted in, in marriage equality. Right. And so that was, a, that, was a, that was a big deal. And so, I, you know, it's very satisfying to get those things done. And we've done other things, say we stopped a city from being built in the Santa Monica Mountains. And we've done a few things. And I, I like that. I, I enjoy that. And because people come up to you, you know, they like a movie, A Princess Bride or Spinal Tap, whatever they like, mm -hmm. you know, and they, oh, you've given me so much pleasure and all that. And, and you, you, it's great. I mean, I love that. But there's nothing like, uh, you know, a guy will come up to me and said, I married my, uh, my partner who was my partner for so many years and now we're married, you know, and thank you for allowing that to happen. That makes you feel better than anything. It sounds to me if this acting directing thing hadn't worked out, you would have you would have run for office. Like I said before, there's such passion there. They couldn't imagine you not being in public service, which makes me wonder if Hillary Clinton does indeed become president of the United States and she came to you and said, Rob, you know, I want you to be in the administration. Would you do it? 
and what would you want to do? Well, I, I, you know, I would do it. I mean, I would if if there was something that I could do to help, <laughs> you I, I would seen do Michelle's it. face. Well, but the, but the point is, uh, you know, it's a different thing than going and being an elected official. I mean, if there's something that I can do, it's weird. I had this dream last night. It's crazy, and I'm going to share it with you. And I'm and Michelle hasn't even heard this, but <laughs> I had a dream last night. Because I felt that if Hillary were to win, I know one of the top priorities, she's got a couple of big top priorities, you know, uh, immigration reform is a big one. But one of the things she, I know she is on the top of her list is to put together an infrastructure bill that not only uh, repairs roads and bridges and hospitals and schools and all that, but also uh, begins the infrastructure of a green economy, of a sustainable energy uh, uh, um, uh, economy, and I had this dream last night that I went and talked with Paul Ryan, knowing full well that Paul Ryan at some point is going to be interested in the presidency, whether it's four years or eight years from now, and to say to him, "This is something you need to work on, and we and and we will find a way to you. Everybody will get credit because it's going to help this country. It's going to make us stronger. It's going to." Uh, 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 Build the economy, and everybody can benefit. And you should take as much credit as as Hillary, the president. And I know that's the kind of thing that she would do, and she will be reaching out in that way, so that it's not it's not. Oh no, we take no for an answer. You know, it's going to stall. It goes through the Senate, just like immigration reform mm-hmm. did, and it stalls in the House. It's to talk to reasonable people and say. If we want to govern, if we want to continue to govern, we have to come together. And, and, and that means compromise. That means compromise from both sides. And make no mistake about it, that's what will have to happen. But I had this dream that, you know, I could hmm. be used in some way because it's not like I'm not familiar with public policy. Unfortunately, I'm way more of a wonk than, any, than I would ever like to be. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I could be helpful. What I way. love about that answer are two things come out of that answer. One, you believe in bipartisanship. You would go to Republican Speaker of the House Paul Ryan and say, hey, look, this is something we need to do that would be good for you, good for the country, and help us succeed in the long run. And two, if you were to work in the administration— you wouldn't want you wouldn't be an ambassador you wouldn't be this you would like get way no, no. in the weeds yeah that's the only way that, act- i like getting things done think about this for a second we talked about marriage equality mm-hmm. who were the two lawyers that that we that we hired to do that it was Ted Olson, a solicitor general for George W. Bush, and David Boyce, Democrat. who was Al Gore's uh, lawyer in, in in the 2000 election i'm not stupid i know that you got to put the, you know, everybody, you got to take partisanship off the table. Ken Melman, who was George Bush's uh, a campaign, campaign manager, manager ran the, who ran the RNC, he was on our board. You know, we got people together because we're all trying to do something that's good for everyone. It's good for it's good for people. So. So that that's what you have to try to do. And I know that Paul Ryan wants an infrastructure bill. He's got to want one. He's got to want the people in his district to have jobs. And so it has to, you know, there's a way of forging. Two last questions. What's your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word? Ooh, I never even thought about it. I curse so much <laughs> that, they, that they're, you know, I'm an, I'm an equal opportunity cursor. So I guess I would say that my favorite curse word is Odds Botkins. 
I used to play tennis all the time with Charlton Heston, and whenever he missed a shot, he would go, Odds Botkins. I didn't know what the hell that meant, but it sounded bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, You've met a lot of famous people, a lot of fabulous people, a lot of interesting people. Who's the person you have not met, but you really want to? Jesus. I would, because look so, look at how much has come from him. I mean, they made whole religions about this guy. That's the one guy I'd like to meet. I should have, like, alive. Oh, alive. <laughs> well, he's alive in some people's well, minds. That is true. You yeah. know what? You, that you, yeah. That is a very good point. That is a very I, you good know, point. I don't think about that so much because uh, <clears throat> as you get older— uh, you know, all that stuff that they always tell you, which is, you know, don't want to meet the people that you admire so much because they're going to disappoint you. Mm-hmm. It happens. I mean, they're just human beings at the end of the day. You know, right. they're just human beings. Actor, director, activist Rob Reiner, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You know what? Do me a favor. Subscribe and then rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. Capehart.